0: Well, we're coming back to, in fact, we're going to work our way to the grand finale of this 7 sign miracles in the Gospel of John that is in the absolutely most important chapter in all of the Bible. And let me tell you how I can say that. I can say that because I'm preaching from this chapter uh, today. And when a pastor is in that chapter and studying that section and praying over it, and all the things that come out of it to you, it just becomes so vital to you. And it happens to you, doesn't it, when you read the Word of God? That you see, wow, things I didn't see before and the riches of that. And that's, that, that's part of this beauty of what we learn in the first hour, how, how there's such wisdom and such truth that we find, all truth, in the Word of God. What a great first hour that we had this morning. I want to let you know. Likewise, in the next two weeks, with these guests that are coming, and you'll be praying, won't you? You'll be praying, and they're going to be in the Gospel of John. We've actually assigned them text from from the Gospel um, of John to keep us in the book. And then uh, after we've had those dear brothers with us and their and their wife and family, then uh, Marshall's going to pick it up right in chapter twelve. And we'll, we'll go right from there and stay in this great, great gospel for our benefit and for his, for his glory. While it was a number of years ago, there may be some people here this morning that would remember this. If they've forgotten it, that's fine. It's even better. But it was a number of years ago, and it was a Wednesday night, and we had a service together and studying the word and and some prayer time, but just as we were getting started, I guess this was when we were in the building on the, the corner there of uh, Dan Jones and Township Line Road. And just as we were getting started, a man walked in and um, was a stranger and saw, everybody saw him and, and, and I looked at him and said, hey, welcome, nice, nice to have you with us. This evening, and he took the liberty on his own to stand up and him, introduce himself. And he said, "I'm the Apostle Paul." Yeah, he said that. I'm the Apostle Paul, and he did look a little bit older. <laughs> he did a long, long white beard and so forth, but I'm sure he wasn't two thousand years old. And but it was, it was interesting by all means, and I can assure you, <laughs> it was not. <laughs> The Apostle Paul of the Bible, but that was an interesting claim to make. Would you agree with me? surely had my attention. and an interesting story even afterwards, maybe for another, another occasion. Jesus made claims that absolutely blew the minds of the religious authorities, of the Jewish authorities, and rightly so. I mean, he, he, he made claims that whenever the father was working, he was working. He, 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 made, he made the claim that uh, he, he was the source of everything that comes through the father, from the father. Uh, he even went so far, didn't he, to uh, claim, make the claim that when he said, uh, I and my father are, are one. And those claims, well... They really had the attention of the people, you know that, and he did this over and over again, just like all of the I am's that we thought about for a moment last week in the context of I am the resurrection of the life. But just turn back to chapter 5 and just be reminded from our our Bibles this morning, just, just how that resonated with the Jewish authorities. He had just... One of the miracles that we looked at in healing the paralytic that was uh, paralyzed for some 38 years of his life, back to John chapter 5 is where we're heading. And he healed that man on the Sabbath. And they were more concerned about when he did and then rather than what he did because of their spiritual blindness. But I just wanted you to note a couple verses. Chapter 5, verse 17, look there with me. 5:17. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. There's one of those examples of that kind of claim. And verse 18 then says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, uh, making himself equal with God. They Got it, loud and clear. And the fact is that either that claim was, as they understood, total blasphemy. How does a man call himself God? Or the claim is exactly true because of who he is as the God, as the God-man. Turn over to uh, chapter 10. Just for one other passage and how he often would say repeatedly over in 10.37, he would say, well, if you don't believe me for my words, then believe me for my works because my works authenticate my words. Over and over he did so. John chapter 10, uh, verse 37 if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Ah. But if I do them, though you do not, believe, do not believe me, believe the works, purpose clause now, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And no greater claim does he make Then chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I'm the resurrection, and I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Remember, and everyone who lives and is living and believing in me will never die. Say the last part with me. Do you you believe this? No greater claim than that particular claim, and no greater evidence to that claim, no greater work. Than the reality that he raises Lazarus from the dead. And in what he is doing in this chapter, I love the way that Jay Adams used to say it oftentimes. He would say that God, uh, he sovereignly plans his work and then he works his plan. And Jesus is working his plan in chapter 11. And we saw that in these last two weeks, every detail, timing, and all that's going on for the supreme purpose of revealing his and displaying his deity, his glory uh, to those in this particular uh, miracle. And if you have put your faith in Christ, then you're going to be in the same category this morning as his men, as Mary and Martha and perhaps others who've already believed upon him, because he continues to call them to belief and greater faith. And I don't want to miss it right now. I don't know what he's doing in your life, but I know he's working. He's always at work in our lives. And he is always providing circumstances and situations, always working in us, around us, and with us to build greater faith. And he's going to call for that again, even as we come to the conclusion of this of this great text. You never thought I was going to get the chapter done. Can you say amen to that? Never thought that, right? Well, we're going we're gonna to get to the grand finale of it all, all this morning. I, I see verse 37 as somewhat transitional. Let's just, let's just fly over what, where we've been. You know, Jesus sends word to Mary and Martha. Remember, this sickness is not unto death. Just glance at it with me again in verse 4. Not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. And his men are asking questions about, you know, waiting and why are we going now and the reality of it all. And he, they're, not, they're not getting it, but he's got more to help them understand. And again, he's going to teach them more about what it means to trust in what he's doing and, and who he is. And then he and his men, after four days, arrive at Bethany. They've been on the other side of the Jordan. They make the trip now, and intentionally, intentionally, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And they come to the scene of this funeral, of all this mourning and grieving that's going on. Remember, it would be intense for a week. The burial would take place right away, but it would be intense for a week, but it would last up to 30 days of the grieving and mourning period of someone who is is dear to um, that person and others who, who love them and knew him and are grieving with them. And he comes to Martha, remember, and, and the people are consoling her. And Jesus comes to her and she says, if me, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my father wouldn't have died, right? Oh, if you've been there. That's what, that's what they've been saying for four days. If Jesus just gets here, if Jesus would have been here, if he would have been here when he was sick, and Jesus said in verse 23, he said to her, your brother will rise again. And because Martha knows the scriptures, she knows the fact that the Bible clearly teaches there's going to be a great resurrection day of the dead, of all of the dead. And she knows that and she believes that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. And that's why he says to her in verse 25 and 26, these great, the great promise of I am. Remember, starts with another one of the I am and the resurrection And the life, as we were reminded this morning, God is not just truthful, he is the truth. And here's God in flesh. Anything about resurrection, anything about life is found in him. And she makes that great statement of her trust in verse 27. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he who comes into the world, what a great witness that Martha is giving here. But she has more to see and more to understand and more to believe. And then Jesus would have said something to her about Mary calling Mary. She goes and says, uh, the, the, the teacher here, and he's calling for you. And when Mary hears that, she comes and she runs to Jesus. And without, without looking at the text, remember what Mary does her, in her humility? What does she do? She falls right at his feet. And then he has to hear it again. Oh, Jesus, if you'd been here. And then in the midst of this, the word is strong. All of this, verse 33, Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. We can almost use the word are wailing. All of this going on, and he hears this, and he sees this. And then the text says he was deeply moved. And we talk about that word last week. It's used again later on in the text, as we will see this morning. And it really means that he was righteously Agitated about it because he sees the effects of sin he sees the reality of death he sees the reality of people hurting and he's about to pay for that very soon but in the meantime he sees the effects of all of that and this great enemy of his and of ours of of death itself deeply troubled where have you laid him he asked in verse 34 as if he didn't know and they said to him lord you come and see so it's not very far from where they're at near the crowd and near the home. And then in verse 35, and remember we have a different word when it says Jesus wept. Here's the word that of, of sorrow that is deep-seated that comes out emotionally and we could even say privately. When your heart is broken, when you, like Dave praying this morning, it's hard for Dave to pray and not have a tender heart because that's true of him. And that's the idea of this word because Jesus sees hurting people And we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. And Jesus is our model in everything, is he not? And so he sees all of this, these hurting people, and he enters into this as he does and knows our heartaches likewise. And so the Jews were saying, oh, see how he loved him. They didn't know the half of it, but how he loved him. It was obvious how he cared about Lazarus and and seeing Jesus weep. Now, verse 37, I mentioned, I see this as somewhat transitional, but some of them said, how could this man who opened the eyes of the blind, how could this man have kept this man, how couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Let me read it again better. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? And the answer to that is he could have, but he didn't because that was not his plan. And we know that because of what he's going to do eventually with Lazarus, and it's easy for people to ask that particular question, is it not? In fact, it could even be like, well, you know, if he, if he did that, and don't you find it interesting in verse 27 when he says, the, the, the fact, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man so many of them were aware of the fact, maybe some of them were, even knew the blind man that Jesus healed prior. So they have evidence, don't they? Know, they know something about what Jesus has done. But then they say, well, why couldn't he have kept this man from dying? And, and I want to say, first of all, it's obvious Jesus had a better plan. We understand that, what's going to happen in the glory of God. But I also want to mention, this is typical of unbelief. Well, if he could do that, why can't he do this? If, if, if God is all love, then why doesn't he save everybody, see? If, if, um, well, you know, uh, I wanna, I'm, I'm considering being a Christian, but I have a lot of questions. You ever heard that? I've heard that. Whenever somebody does that with you, ask them this question. If I answer your questions, are you ready to repent, believe, and bow your knee to Jesus Christ right now? It's just a... It's a, it's a a a dead-heart, rebellious response to the reality of what is already known. And the answer for that kind of person and these kind of people right here who would do that, they got all the evidence that they need about Christ in order to believe, is that they need the bad news of their condition and they need the good news about Jesus Christ as the answer to their sin problem. And you better say amen to that this morning. Amen? That's what they need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the reality of their Of their own condition. And so then, in verses, the next verses in verse 38 through verse 44, we come to the grand finale here of the miracle that's going to take place. And in verses 38 and 39, Jesus is coming to the tomb. In verses 40 and 42, he's calling for belief again. And then in verses 43 and 44, he's commanding the dead. In Lazarus. So we got Jesus coming to the tomb, Jesus calling for belief, and Jesus commanding the dead. And here he comes, verse 38. So Jesus again being deeply moved, there it is again, within him, within his heart. He came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And again, the Holy Spirit guides John to convey Jesus' agitation of heart over the weeping and the devastation that sin and death brings to humanity. Proverbs 8, 13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And Jesus hates the reality of the evil that has impacted people. And then he grieves with this righteous indignation toward all that's the effects of sin. And placed in this tomb, an area somewhere near this small community where the dead would be in a cave, um, somewhat like, like the traditional, uh, I think it's Gordon's tomb that if you go to Israel and the tomb that Jesus, we don't know that that was the one, but if you're a tourist, this is the one that they'll take you to to. Say, and if you'd like the news now, I'll let you know. If you go in there, there's nothing there, okay? If it was his tomb, right? But it would be something like this. Some of them I read that were actually in the ground, likewise. But my point is, and I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. My point is that you probably, close to Bethany, going in, coming out, or around there, they didn't have to walk far to get to the grave. You'd see the tombs or the graveyard. You'd see the area where the people... um, it had died. were cemetery, do you know that word, by the way? Resting place. It's see where they were laid. And today, there's going to be some of you, you're going to head home and very likely, what direction that you go, you might go by a cemetery. I know some of you have been there already this morning in light of some people that in your life that you, that you remember. Isaiah and I, Isaiah went with me to my mom's funeral, and one of the things that, that uh, we did, and I was blessed by the fact that he asked, is in the little uh, town that Deborah and I grew up in where my dad and my mom and some other members of my family, her family, were buried. We went up to that cemetery, at the top of the little town that we grew up in, and you know what I noticed? It's a lot bigger than the last time I was there. Do you know what cem- cemeteries tend to grow? Do you know that? In fact, if you go on, on a drive somewhere out, out in the country and, and you see an, an old church, maybe one of those old brick churches, you know what you see next to the church right there in the same property? You see the graveyard. And interesting that you, it would be, wouldn't it, to go to church and you'd hear the word and hear truth and hear the hope of the gospel and you walk out and you'd be reminded of the fact you're going to be out there one day And unless Jesus comes today, before I finish this sermon, I'd like to get done, but if he comes first, I'd say hallelujah on the way up. There's going to be a tomb with your name on it someday. And I wonder if we're going to say, that person was real for God, and we can say hallelujah, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Most vivid reminder that we have, and we can't get away from it, the reality Life is short, death is sure, sin's the cause, and Jesus Christ is the only cure. And so there they are. There they are. <laughs> Coming to the tomb. And Jesus makes this command then. Let's look at the text again. Came to the tomb, now was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove it. Remove that stone. I'm convinced he would have had to have some men likely do that. I think as soon as as soon as that is heard and some people are in the process then of removing that stone, I think that word went out as a buzz. Jesus is at the tomb and he just had him open the tomb. What's he doing? Why is he doing that? Think about that. the crowd, I I believe likely was even growing in, in its number as as word gets out. Remove the stone. Open it up, commanded these people to do so. And Mar- Martha has a, she has a concern here, and it's a valid concern. Look at the text with me. Remove the stone, and then Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time, there'll be a stench, for he's been dead four days. You don't want to do that. They rolled a stone against there to keep grave robbers out, animals out and also keeps tents in from decaying bodies. You don't, you don't want to do that. Her concern is valid. Valid. Remember Jesus talking to the Pharisees and others, pointing out their hypocrisy, and he says, you're like whitewashed, what? Tombs. You're defiled inside. You try to look whitewashed on the outside, but the heart. You're like that. What, a, what an analogy that was. So what, what, what is he doing here? Some might have thought, I always wonder, what are people thinking? Some might have thought, well, maybe that's the way he wants to give his last respects to Lazarus. But also we have these uh, uh, admonitions from the Old Testament that... Uh, after a person was dead and buried, uh, you, you, if you came across a dead body or something just somewhere else or whatever, you were not to touch that, you'd be, um, you'd be unclean. So there, I, I just think there's a lot of questions. Why, why in the world? What, what is he doing? I don't think anybody was saying, watch this. I don't think anybody's saying that. And frankly, I think if I was there, I wouldn't have said anything like that either. So that's why he's calling for belief. That's what he does then in verses 40 and 42. Notice he'll say this twice, verse 40 and verse 42. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Not just you're going to see a miracle, but you're going to see, everybody say it, you're going to see what the glory of God. Back to verse 4 again. The sickness is not in, the end, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God might be glorified. What does that mean? That you might see who He really is in His divine power as God in flesh. Wow! Did not say that? So here again, He's calling for belief in the midst of this. You're going to, you're going to see God's glory. So they remove the stone, in Jesus raised his eyes and he said and he praised. But prior to that, I, want to, I thought it was a great helpful uh, comment by Leon Morris. What a great um, author and uh, lover of the scriptures. And if you have a commentary by Leon Morris and you don't want it, give it to me, okay? Listen to this quote by him concerning this statement again of Jesus. He said, for him, the glory of God was the one important thing. The real meaning of what he would do is accessible only to faith. All there, believing or not, would see the miracle, but Jesus is promising Martha a sight of the glory. The crowd would see the miracle, but only believers would see its real significance. Glory. You're out on Maybe around July 4th, which we've learned is also Christmas, and you're outside, or you take the family camping, or whatever else, or with friends, and you look up into the sky, and a person who's not been redeemed and made alive in Jesus Christ says, Look at that, wow, think of all the stars and whatever else, and you look at it, what do you say? Man, what a creator. And you see God's glory. You go to the Grand Canyon and a person who's not a believer thinks, wow, isn't that incredible? After billions of years and billions, they always have the right number too, amen? Exact number, were you there, you know? And we look at it and say, what a creator. See the glory of God. You're going to see the glory of God, he's saying, if you believe how it's going to impact your life. You'll be strengthened in the faith. Always I pray that when we're in the word. We walk out better for Christ, stronger for Christ, more confident in the word of God because we've heard from God through his word. So then they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes, looking up, and he prayed. And remember, Jesus is our model in everything, is he not? Certainly our model in prayer and his life and even teaching us how to pray. But let's look at his, pray, his prayer. Then Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe, there it is again, that you, believe what? That you sent me that you sent me. Notice, Father. Father. Father and the Son, Son to the Father, reminded of that intimacy that is true within the triune God. I I want you to notice in Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 11, how that is just repeated and driven home to us. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 11 and just look at that text with me just for a moment? Always that beautiful relationship and unity and, and harmony between the Father and the Son. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, just starting there through 27. Notice how this is repeated. And imagine the fact that just as the Son of God can speak to the Father, Jesus said when we pray, are Our, what? Our Father, who art in heaven. Who are you to call the Creator? your Father? We do that in Jesus Christ. Well, He's the Father of all humanity. Wait a minute. Remember Jesus dealing with the, the religious authorities, and they're claiming Abraham and God is their Father, and he said, "You've got a Father, but it's not God. Your Father is the, is the devil." So we have that great privilege in Christ, do we not? Matthew chapter 11. Just look how he expresses this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, 1125. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Oh, does that go with what we learned this morning? Yes, Father, For this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal or reveal him. Father through the Son, and we come to the Father, right? Through the Son, and we have the privilege as his children to address him as such. Are we, are we, blessed with that great privilege? And then notice, he doesn't say, no, I'm asking you, Lord, to give me power here now that I might be able to," like some proclaiming uh, uh, evangelist that thinks he can heal everybody. No, what does he say? I thank you because of the, I, I thank you because you heard me. Just thanking God, not asking for anything. Thanking His Father because He hears, so that people will not only. See, but they will have heard him. Because of the people standing around, I said, so that they may believe that you sent me. That he came down from the Father, came down from heaven to earth for the mission of redeeming sinners. That he didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. He is the eternal son who took upon flesh at Bethlehem. And the... Incredible incarnation. And he came for one purpose. And we're going to celebrate that purpose. Remember that purpose. In conclusion, in just a few moments this morning, in, in the Lord's Supper. And then He's He's calling for that belief. Again, notice that you might believe. That you might believe. And no matter where you are as your maturity level in the faith. You're to grow in grace, aren't you? We're here because we want to worship God and we want to grow. But no matter where you are in that process, willing and wanting to trust the Lord with all your heart. By the way, we were reminded yesterday in our men's study, to trust the Lord with all your heart is to obey the Lord with all your worth. Trust Him with all your heart. But whatever level you're at, you're going to be given opportunities and circumstances and tests, trials that's going to provide you with learning more about what it means to trust God. Right to the moment he takes us home. More opportunities. In fact, sometimes I think maybe as we grow older, doesn't apply to me, but as we grow older, I think we've got more opportunities to learn what it means to trust God. And then, now, he commands the dead. Wow. Quote from the exposition commentary, these two guys. It's a great series. After ending the grief, Jesus moves to end it. Why did Jesus let this happen if he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did he let those loved experience, four days of grief. Jesus is doing things we can never grasp. He's God. He's got purpose far beyond what we can imagine. We don't know all that he's doing, but we should never doubt his love for us, his desire for us to experience his glory, and his call for us to trust him. His love, his glory, and our need for faith are often most clear in the darkest times. This miracle was about something bigger than removing their grief. This miracle was about the power of Jesus over death. They were intimate witnesses to death's demise. It was high noon, and they were lining the streets to watch the duel between Jesus and death. And here it is, verse 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth just name in one word the original. After praying, stop. There it is, Lazarus. Same word as used in the revelation of chapter 1, verse 10, when John compares the, a shout uh, to the sound of a trumpet. In fact, would that make you think this morning, perhaps about this particular text? Would it make you think of that? Somebody say Amen. What make you think of this text? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a... Boy, you're energetic this morning, aren't you? He will descend with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore we comfort one another with these things. Stay faithful. You're going to soon be with him, one way or another. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. There it is, that command, that shout. People hearing, people seeing, hearing his words. And I don't know who said it first. Uh, Have you ever heard this? It's been well said that it's a good thing that that Jesus qualified, come forth with the word Lazarus. Because if he would have just said, come forth, Every person who had ever been in the grave would have come out of the grave. And that's going to happen. Back to John chapter 5. That's going to happen one day. Back to John chapter 5. Because all authority has been given to him for this. John 5, 25 Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good to resurrection of life, those who committed evil to a resurrection of judgment. And it's not a matter of we're going to be saved by our works, but the reality is our works are going to reveal our condition to Christ. It's going to happen. Great resurrection day. It's appointed unto man, wants to die, and after this, what? The judgment for all mankind will experience that. Notice the beginning of verse 44. The man who had died, (laughs) he came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. The moment Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus is getting up, and he's coming out and he's still bound. Can you see it? Do you suppose he's kind of shuffling his feet? You know, they wrap the feet around, both feet there, whatever. Uh, I've had more than one commentary makes the statement, it's not in the text, but I I, I could believe that could have been possible, that there were a lot of people, the moment they saw Lazarus coming, ran with fear. And Jesus, because his kindness and here, unbind him and let him go. And he looked like he did before he was sick. I wonder what Lazarus' first words were. Why? <laughs> right? It's interesting. There's, it stops there and we get into verse 45 and following, and I want to cover those verses, but not now. Because what we have in 45 and following is we have the two different response to what took place. There's always one or two. There's either belief or there's what? There's unbelief and it, j- j- just dealing with that. But I also find it interesting, there's, there's nothing here about words that were said or the emotion of the moment or everything that's, that's taking place. It just stops right there. Right there. Because the issue's not about Mary and Martha and the crowd and about Lazarus. And would you also note with me, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but would you also note with me, there was no earthquake associated with this? Would you also notice with me, there was no angel sitting on the stone that they rolled away? Would you also note with me, there's no announcement from the angel concerning anything here? But there's going to be, because this is just a token of the resurrection that matters most of all. The one who is the resurrection And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not Lazarus or anybody else's. It's his resurrection that guarantees your resurrection unto life if you're in him this morning. And if you're not, trust him today. Trust him today. And now we celebrate the reality of why he did come, what he did and what he accomplished for us in the cross. And we are to listen to his words and remember what he did. Father, thank you. Thank you for this section of your word, this great, great sign, miracle. Bless us now. Bless us now in identifying with that through the symbol of his blood and body. In Christ's name, amen.